Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up a Bible to Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1, that's where I'm looking at in my Bible, and that's where we're going to begin in just a moment as we get underway in this part of our worship, Isaiah chapter 1. And as you're turning there, that'll give me just a moment to say how wonderful it is to see everyone this morning, especially to our guests. I have a number of guests in attendance today, and we're very appreciative of your attendance today. And let me say as well how glad I am to be in this good assembly. I had a good week last week with the church in Jamestown. Appreciate Brother Mitchell standing in this very position last Sunday morning and doing an excellent job preaching and my dad Sunday night. But as good as a week as I had over there, it's even gooder to be back home and to be right here with my family at Lakeside. No place on earth that I'd rather be than right here. Let's read together in the text. In Isaiah the first chapter, this is God's message to the unfaithful people of Judah. And there he says, in Isaiah 1 and in verse 28, Rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. They shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. You shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. The strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. If Puritan churches so long ago were famous for trumpeting God's severity, then it may well be true that today's churches are going to be well known for stressing God's goodness, and God's kindness, and God's love. Because after all, who wants to hear all kinds of awful things about the wrath of God. Who wants to read passages like the one that we just read in Isaiah that says that rebels and sinners will be consumed, that they will be burned up? Who wants to read that? You know, this idea of divine wrath and God's judgment, that just seems like something that ought to be consigned to, I don't know, ages past. You know, maybe there was a time back during when you know people spoke the King James English and back when people brought the witches out and put them in stocks out in the public square. You know, I understand talking about God's wrath and God's anger back then, but why do us today, why do intelligent and enlightened people living in the 21st century, why do we need to hear all those scary stories about the wrath of God? Well, I'll tell you why we need to hear about the wrath of God. I believe if we all take an honest look and survey the world that is around us, a world that is filled with so much violence and materialism and selfishness and sin, I think we would understand that there is a great need today for people to take God seriously. That is sorely lacking in our world. In a day and time when greed and pride and crime and sex and self-will just dominates the culture, I believe that we are helping absolutely no one when all we do is mumble a few generic platitudes about the love and the grace of God, but then never say one word about the severity and the wrath of God. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever say anything about the love of God. We need to talk about the love of God. We need to talk about the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God. That's important. 
But I believe that we are fooling ourselves if we think that just saying that alone, that God is good and God is love and God is gracious, I think we're fooling ourselves if we think that we can just preach that message and that somehow that is going to bring our sin-sick society to repentance and to righteousness. There comes a point where we need to say some things about the wrath of God. You know, we pride ourselves on being people who speak where the Bible speaks. And we're going to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Well, if we are going to merit those designations, then that means we need to be talking very candidly and forthrightly about the wrath of a loving God. In fact, one author actually noted that there are actually more references in Scripture to the wrath of God than there are to the love of God. If that is true, then I believe it is absolutely necessary that we give some consideration to this sobering topic. And so this morning, that's exactly what I want us to do. I want us to hear what God's Word has to say about the seriousness of sin by understanding what the Bible has to say about God's wrath. And maybe the place that that needs to start for us is by us just kind of getting a handle on what we mean when we talk about the wrath of God. In fact, maybe this is the reason that we're so uncomfortable with saying very much about God's wrath because, well, we've just got all kinds of conflicting ideas in our mind about what that actually is. You know, we're a little bit uncomfortable with this divine being who is filled with so much magnificence and glory and power, and might, and majesty, but who also at the same time flies off the handle and just indiscriminately starts smiting and killing people in fits of rage and in bad temper, which to us seems, well, well, it just seems almost ungodly. Well, let's try to work on that. Let's see if we can't correct that misguided way of thinking. First of all, when the Bible talks about God's wrath, It is talking about how God moves against those who would defy Him. That's really what we're talking about here. That is what the wrath of God is all about. It's about God taking action against those who would defy Him and His will. God is at the very controls of the universe, is He not? That means then that He is obligated to keep on track Himself and the universe for justice and for what is right. And one of the key ways that God does that is by moving against those who would rebel against Him and against His Word. Look, for example, in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, this is a passage that by the end of this day, we all should be very, very familiar with. We'll talk about it this morning. We'll talk about it again tonight. In Romans chapter 1, read with me in verse 18. In Romans 1 verse 18, we're told there that the wrath of God, it is revealed from heaven against whom? It is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Those who would relentlessly defy God, those who would attempt to derail what is pure and what is right and what is holy, Ultimately, those people will be called into account. And that accounting, that demanding of what is right, that judging of what is wrong, that, that is God's wrath. And I need us to understand very clearly this morning that when the Bible talks about God's wrath, 
It is not a fit of bad temper. That is extraordinarily important for us to understand. Because so often, I think that's immediately what people think of. Is they think of God, and they think of His wrath. Is it's God, God just throwing a temper tantrum up in heaven. We need to understand biblically what the wrath of God is. Can I illustrate this this morning? When the Bible speaks of God's love, do we ever think of that in terms of some of the negative things that go along with love? You know what I'm talking about here? Like some of the foolish and impulsive behavior that sometimes goes along with love. We as humans, whenever we fall in love with another person, we sometimes do very erratic and irrational and foolish things out of love. I think about in that movie Bambi, the word that's used there is Twitterpated. Sometimes when we get Twitterpated and we've got love in our hearts that way, we sometimes do kind of crazy things. We do irrational and foolish things. So let me ask you, whenever we talk about the love of God, is that what we think of? We think of God doing irrational things with His love? God doing impulsive and just really, really just kind of dumb and crazy things? Of course not. When we think about God's love, we immediately think of all the positives that go along with love. We don't immediately jump to all the negatives that might go along with love. Now can I ask you, why is it then, when we read passages in the Bible about God's wrath, why is it that we immediately just jump to all those negative connotations about wrath? We think about fits of rage and short fuses and big uncontrollable tempers and then we assign those attributes to God. That's not fair. In fact, that's not right. And in fact, that's not going to work. Because biblically, God's wrath is never just arbitrary. God's wrath is not self-indulgent. It is not irritable and it is not morally wrong. It is not that fit of bad temper. It is not God just flying off the handle. God's anger is what we sometimes refer to as righteous indignation. What do we mean by that? Righteous indignation. Well, we mean the morally necessary reaction to evil. In fact, I'll put that on the screen. God's wrath is His morally necessary reaction to evil. Honestly now, what would we think of a God who looks down on earth and sees, for example, Adolf Hitler killing in a holocaust six million Jews And God looks at that and then He kind of just shrugs His shoulders and says, eh, you know, and then moves on. What do we think of a God like that? Such a God as that would not be worthy of our worship or our service or our devotion, would He? And I should add here that as we're developing these ideas, that that means as well that God's wrath is not cruelty. If you were to go back and read some of those old Puritan sermons... Like maybe the most famous was Jonathan Edwards' sermon that was titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You go back and you read those sermons, it almost makes it sound like God is just thrilled to get people. That God just cannot wait to start pushing the smite button. And He's just just smiting people all day long. Oh, that's just how God gets His jollies. That is so far removed from the biblical picture of God. Let's just be clear about that. If God wanted to hurt us, if God wanted to torture us, if God wanted to smite us and just send us all to hell for all of eternity, then guess what? 
He'd just do it. And there wouldn't be a single thing that any of us could do about that. But if God was that way, then that would beg the question on our part, well, well, why did God send His Son to die horribly on the cross for us? If all God longs to do is just vent His anger at people so that He can then send us all to hell. You see, God is not that way. God has actually went to extraordinary lengths. He has done everything imaginable so that we can escape His wrath. So that we do not have to feel His righteous indignation. God has actually provided for us an alternative, an option, so that we are not on the receiving end of His fury and His anger towards sin. It seems to me then that as we begin to kind of work with these ideas, we first of all, we get a very clear picture of what God's wrath is and what it is not. That God is moving decisively against sin and evil. And yes, that means that God is moving decisively against evildoers. Which means that if you or I, if we choose to sin and then continue in that sin, then you know what that means? That means that we are placing ourselves squarely in the crosshairs of God's wrath. We actually can become the very targets of God's wrath. That, that is a frightening proposition. And in fact, that ought to give all of us at least just a moment of pause. Now let me break that out this morning into three specific directions as we think about the wrath of God and we think about how that applies to us in our lives. First and foremost, I want us to recognize that every person who has or will experience the wrath of God, they choose to do that. Receiving God's wrath, that's a choice. Look in John chapter 3, please. In John chapter 3, Jesus discusses here how He had been sent to this world by His Father. Of course, verse 16 is that very famous verse that highlights the love of God. But I think what often gets overlooked is that within that very same breath, Jesus also discusses the wrath of God. In John chapter 3, drop down to verse 18. There Jesus says, John 3, 18, that whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Notice this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The ESV says in verse 19 that this is the judgment. The New King James says this is the condemnation. The NIV actually says this is the verdict. How did this verdict of common condemnation, how did this verdict get rendered? Was it a result of God just, you know, having a bad day one day? And so He just kind of flew off the handle and He just started smiting people and causing all kinds of chaos and destruction? Is that how that happened? God just started punishing people for, for arbitrary kinds of reasons? No. No, no, and a thousand times no. Jesus says that judgment comes upon people because men love darkness. They choose that. That's a choice that people make. By people's own volition, they reject the light. They choose darkness. They choose judgment. They choose God's wrath on them. 
Now I recognize you put that point on the screen. You kind of look at it. You start thinking about it. And somebody's thinking, well, Josh, nobody says, oh, I think I'll have me a big helping of God's wrath today. Please give me, give me, give me two or three helpings of that. Nobody says that. I get that. That's not how that works. But by the choices that men and women make, those actions, those actions have consequences, don't they? You want an illustration of that? Nobody chooses to have lung cancer. Ah, I think I'll go out and get me some lung cancer today. No, nobody's saying that. Nobody's thinking that. That's not how that works. But by choosing to smoke cigarettes and to continue to do that, many, many people do get lung cancer. Nobody says, oh, I just want to die a horrible death, coughing my guts up, and I can't even hardly breathe, and my lungs are charcoal. Nobody says that. But when people choose to smoke, guess what? Then they are also choosing the consequences of that action. And in the same way, no one says, oh, I, th- I, think, today, I-, I think I'd like to go to hell. I- I think that's what I like to do. I think I'll have me some of that. No. Nobody says, I choose to be on the receiving end of God's fury and God's wrath. No one says those words. But by the choices that men and women make, by loving the darkness, by refusing to believe, by choosing those things, then they are also choosing the consequences of those actions. You know, God takes our choices very, very seriously. That the things that we say and things that we do, the things that we think, God treats those choices as, as meaningful. He treats us as significant creatures. And in fact, I'm, I'm really happy that God does that. I don't think that we would want it any other way. But God lets us make our own choices. And then God responds according to the choices that we make. Would you look in Romans chapter 2, please? This is very much the very justice of God. In Romans chapter 2, Romans is famous for all those great passages that talk about the love of God. Think about that great passage in chapter 8. Who or what can separate us from the love of God? People love that passage, and I love that passage. People love Romans for what it says about justification, chapter 3 and 4 and 5, what it means to be justified before God. Those are great ideas. But has no one ever noticed that at the outset of Romans, Paul is actually beating the drum for the wrath of God? Because it is only when we understand the wrath of God that we will then understand our need for justification. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 2, look in verse 5. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, He will render to each one according to His works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He'll give eternal life. But then notice verse 8, the other choice. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but by their choice obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. No one in all of Scripture... And in fact, no one in all of the history of time ever experienced the wrath of God poured out on them when they did not choose to have that brought upon them. Notice verse 6 again. 
He will render to each one according to his works, according to the choices that he or she makes. When you choose to transgress and violate God's law, then you choose for yourself to have God's wrath and God's fury poured upon you. Let me press that a little bit further here. If you're still here in Romans, would you fall back to chapter 1 again? Look back in chapter 1 at that verse we read a moment ago in verse 18. Because Romans 1 verse 18, I believe, helps us to see, secondly, that God's wrath is in fact a present reality. Verse 18, notice it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, whenever we normally think about the wrath of God, as soon as preachers get up and start saying things about God's wrath, naturally, what do we think about? Well, naturally, we start thinking about judgment, eternal judgment. We start thinking about about hell. And that, of course, is the ultimate and consummate expression of God's wrath. That those who have refused God, those who do not obey Him, those who do not choose Him, those who do not love Him, they will be cast away from God into eternal punishment. God is going to honor the choice that they make by fully and finally sending them to the fullest expression of His wrath. And so when we think about the wrath of God, what do we think about? Well, we think about things like the outer darkness that is promised there. We think about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. We think about the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur. We start imagining all those things, those things that are future events, the future punishment that will be in eternity. Those are the kinds of things that we imagine when we think about God's wrath. And all of that is absolutely true. But that is not the only way that God's wrath is expressed. Notice again, Romans 1.18 does not say that the wrath of God is going to be revealed. At some point in the future, God's wrath is going to be revealed from heaven. No, it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Present tense. Somebody maybe says, well, how in the world can that be? How can God's wrath be experienced right now? Well, if you just notice here in chapter 1, The key phrase in Romans 1 is the phrase, God gave them up, or God gave them over. Look at verse 24. You see that expression there in verse 24? Verse 26, he says it again. Verse 28, he says it a third time. These people who were subject to the wrath of God, they didn't have to wait all the way until judgment day in eternal hell to experience that wrath. No, what happens, verse 24, is God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. What happens, verse 26, is God gave them up to dishonorable passions. What happens, verse 28, is God gave them up to a debased mind. All of those things, all of those things are expressions of God's wrath. God is not in heaven right now just kind of sitting idly by, just kind of twiddling His thumbs, doing nothing about the sin and the evil that exists in our world. No, what those verses show us is that God is expressing His wrath right now. And how is He doing that? He is expressing His wrath right now by allowing men and women to go deeper and deeper and deeper into their sin. Because from God's perspective, the very worst possible punishment is to let sinners just sin even more and then have to reap the awful consequences of those sins. 
Do you see that in this passage? What Paul is saying here is he's saying that people choose to sin, and in response to that, God will let them keep on sinning, and that in and of itself, that is an expression of God's wrath because of their sinful choices. They're just bringing all kinds of pain and heartache and difficulty upon their lives. They are reaping what they are sowing. You know, those of us who are parents, I think we probably understand this maybe better than anybody else. You know, sometimes our children, we, we, we try to help them. And we sometimes try to, to jump in and to intervene to keep from, from, from pain happening to them and from being hurt and them making foolish choices. We try to guide them in the way to go and what it is that they ought to do. But sometimes, sometimes they just will not listen because they are so determined and headstrong to go their own way and do their own thing. And so what do we do? Well, eventually what we do is we step back and we say, all right. That's what you want to do? Okay, you just, go ahead, you just go ahead and try that out and let's see how that works out for you. And as parents, we know how it's going to work out, don't we? Because we've been there, we've done that, we're mature, we've seen those things. We know exactly what's going to happen, but we stand back and we allow it to happen so that they can feel that pain and they can then reap the consequence of their choices and hopefully they'll learn a lesson from that. Our desire is to jump in there and to stop it and prevent it from happening. We'd like to spare them from having to even experience any of that. But sometimes we realize that we've got to do exactly what God does here. We've got to just give them over. We've got to just give them up, if you will. That is an expression not only of love, but it is an expression of wrath in the present tense. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. If we refuse Him if we refuse to listen to Him in His Word, if we're just dead set, headstrong about going our own way, then God will, God will let you. God will let you do exactly that. He will let you reap the consequences of your sin and He does that in hopes that you will recognize. Like the prodigal son, you'll hit the bottom so hard, you'll realize, this is awful. This is, this is terrible. What am I doing? I need to stop doing this. I need to go back to God. That is God's wrath being poured out right now. And Lord willing, we'll talk about that even more in depth this evening in Q&A at 6 o'clock. But the Bible does teach that God's wrath is a present reality just as much as it will be a reality in judgment. All of them which leads to this final truth this morning. And that is, we must indeed take God's wrath seriously. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. Maybe you've seen it or heard this expression before. The bumper sticker said, Heaven won't take me, and hell's afraid I'll take over. You know, we see those kinds of things all the time. We hear those kinds of things. And (laughs) it's so funny, I guess, to people. And I think, though, that that's very illustrative of our society's attempt to, to, to minimize God's wrath. It is the common thinking that, you know, all the boring people, they're going to be in heaven. And I don't want to go there, it's just going to be boring and dull. The life of the party, it's going to be down in hell. That's where it's at, it's going to be fun, it's going to be awesome down there. 
This idea that God's wrath is really not that big of a deal. Don't really need to be concerned about all of that. Don't need to take that seriously. That's such an antiquated thing. Again, that's something that was talked about back in ye olden days. Churches in ages past, they talk about the wrath of God as a way of kind of keeping everybody in line. But you know what? We've gotten wise to that. We're way smarter than that today. Yet the Bible paints a completely different portrait. In the Bible, God's wrath is not something to be scoffed at or minimized or trifled with in any way. For example, look in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 28. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, as King Saul is coming to the end of his miserable life, he is reminded of the failure on his part to completely eradicate the Amalekites. You remember that story back in chapter 15. God reminds him about that again. Look in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. Look in verse 18. 1 Samuel 28 verse 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out His fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Saul failed to take God seriously. He failed to take God's wrath seriously. And as a result, he was judged accordingly. And the judgment for him was the kingdom was stripped away from him and the remainder of his days were just awful. In the book of Ezra, please, just move forward a little bit in the Old Testament. In Ezra chapter 5, in Ezra 5, after several long seasons of idolatry, generation after generation of doing what was wrong, doing what was evil in God's sight, Ezra gives kind of this little succinct summary of their history. In Ezra chapter 5, look in verse 12. Ezra 5 verse 12. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, God then gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried away the people to Babylonia. That account summarizes all kinds of death and destruction and captivity that was brought upon God's people. Why? Because they didn't take God seriously. They didn't take the warnings of God's prophets seriously. Those prophets had came time and time again saying, the wrath of God's coming. God's judgment is coming if you don't repent. And the people wouldn't repent. In fact, grab one of those prophets. Look in Jeremiah, please. In Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah spent the better part of 40 years trying to warn people about God's wrath. And on the whole, he was unsuccessful. People didn't want to hear that message. In Jeremiah 10, look in verse 10. In Jeremiah 10 and in verse 10, Jeremiah says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Notice this. At His wrath, the earth quakes. And the nations cannot endure His indignation. Let me just reiterate that whether or not we understand God's wrath and whether or not we like God's wrath, that's really kind of irrelevant. Because none of that, our personal feelings about all that, none of that changes the fact that God will move against evil. God will act decisively against those who oppose Him and His way. You know, one of the most common expressions in all of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is the phrase, 
the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. You find that about 20 different times in Scripture. And that is an expression that signals God's wrath. It is a signal of God's judgment. And how it is certain that day, that moment is coming and it is to be taken seriously. Notice again Jeremiah 10.10, the earth quakes at the thought of God's wrath. You know, I'm afraid that somewhere along the way, we have traded the biblical image of this God, the God who thunders forth against iniquity and sin. We've traded this God for some kind of soft, weak, grandfather-type God who would never ever hurt a fly, who just loves everybody, he just loves everybody so much, he just never wouldn't do anything to hurt anybody. And a God who knows nothing of righteous indignation. And such a God as that is not to be feared. And the truth is, such a God as that is not to be found in the Bible either. We need to take this God, the God at whom the earth quakes, we need to take this God seriously. And furthermore, we need to help our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and our loved ones who are living in sin, who are outside of Jesus Christ, we need to help them to wake up and to see this picture of God. we got to stop trying to accommodate everybody. Stop trying to make God into some kind of a you know, cosmic teddy bear that just wants, to, just wants to hug you all the time. Instead, we need to help people to see that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That His wrath one day will be poured out and in fact... His wrath, even right now, is being poured out against sin. One final passage this morning. It's in John chapter 3 again. In John chapter 3, I I hope that you have seen this morning that the subject of God's wrath, it is so vitally needed in our world today. Yes, it has been misused by some. Yes, there are those who have stood up and preached about the wrath of God in a way that just almost seems to kind of gloat and revel in the idea of God destroying people and things. There are people who preach about God's wrath and don't have the slightest bit of pain in their heart or even the first tear of compassion at the thought of God's wrath being expressed against sinners. That is unfortunate and that is a mistake. Because I don't know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I I regret that anyone Whatever choose God's condemnation and God's judgment. And I sorrow for every single soul, past, present, or even into the future, that would find themselves on the receiving end of the wrath of God. But I'll tell you what that sorrow and that regret does for me. It moves me, it pushes me to speak all the more loudly and to speak all the more candidly about how God moves against sin regardless of how unpopular that message might be in our world today. And so we read in John chapter 3 and in verse 36, there the Bible says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. That passage points out That it is only through Jesus that we can find the refuge that we need to escape the wrath of God. 
And so with that thought in mind, we extend the invitation of Jesus the Christ. It is your opportunity to come to Him believing in faith and then obeying action in obedience to His gospel. You can do that this morning so that you might have life. If you will confess your faith in Jesus as God's Son. If you will repent and turn from sin. If you will be buried with Christ in baptism, all of your sins will be forgiven. And furthermore, you can escape the wrath of God by becoming a Christian this very hour. If you are a Christian, but maybe you have allowed sin to enter back into your life, maybe you have allowed Satan to pull you back in to the very crosshairs of God's wrath, then brother or sister, I would hope this morning that you would see the urgency to repent of that and to seek God's forgiveness and His mercy in prayer. If we can help you in that way, if we can help you in rendering obedience to the gospel to the very first time, then we're ready to help you in that way as well. Whatever your need might be, all you got to do is make it known. Why don't you do that right now by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.